This is Healthcare Now Radio's Trending Now. I'm your host, Jared Johnson. Join me and my guests as we discuss the latest topics that are in the news or getting social media traction in the universe of healthcare and health IT. It's a fast-paced 30 minutes, so sit back and listen as we kick off the show with what's on trend now. Today, I'm speaking with Galit Zuckerman-Stark, founder and CEO of MetaSense Biometrics. Galit, welcome to Trending Now. Hi, Jared. Thank you. It's so good to be here, and I appreciate the opportunity. Well, I'm really excited to dig in right here. Let's start off right off the bat. Let's give our listeners a little chance to know you a little bit better. Can you give us a quick summary of your background and whatever else you'd like them to know about you? Sure. So first, as you said, I'm um, the founder and CEO of uh, Medicine Biometrics, a commercial medtech company in the field of, of pain management, developing and, and commercializing AI technology that quantifies physiological response to pain and helps clinicians to personalize and optimize the pain treatment so that we as patients will suffer less from pain and from the side effects of uh, the pain treatment. My background is in engineering. I did my bachelor and master degrees in computer and electrical engineering. And before founding MetaSense almost 15 years ago, I've worked for a decade in the high-tech industry, from communication to semiconductors in different R&D and R&D management positions, where my focus, especially in the, in, in the later years, was on AI and machine learning. Um, so actually, this, this brought me <laughs> through different con- um, situation and uh, uh, tasks that connected together to bring AI into the pain field with the idea that these tools that can help solve problems that's very hard to define what is the question behind them can maybe help and give a solution uh, to the pain field where pain is complex and we don't know a lot of it. And especially when somebody says in, we, he or she are in pain, they don't really know why they are in pain, more pain or less pain. Um, so this is a bit about my background and also what brought me to medicine. Thank you for sharing that. Along the way, I imagine there's been a lot of career advice you've received. We've been asking our guests lately to share one of those pieces of career advice that has stuck with them that they've received that has helped guide them along their way. Is there anything that comes to mind in terms of career advice you've received that's been really helpful for you? Yeah, um, actually through just, uh, let's say, in, in the beginning of my journey, my entrepreneurial journey, I joined a serial entrepreneur to start to see how it is to start a startup. And it's, it was more than advice. It was going through this step to understand that though sometimes, you know, stories and headlines, it seems like it's very easy for people, you know, to start companies and to be successful. I realized that even for serial entrepreneurs and for people that it seems like it's easy, there is a path there. And you should know that, that it's probably, you know, it's not as, as simple as it looks from the other side. So don't be afraid when you say that it's, uh, and the road is, the road is not that easy or don't say, Oh, it's impossible. They probably know something that I don't know. So that was a major important advice through the way, through my way. You know what that, I feel like that's really applicable to everyone, especially entrepreneurs. But like you said, everyone can kind of benefit from that, that kind of thinking to, to recognize that maybe they could, give themselves a little more credit along the way and just keep moving forward because I know that can be paralyzing if we don't think that way. We can just not take those steps that we need to take. So yeah, that's that's a great piece of career advice there. All right, well, I'll tell you what, we'd like to start out with a trending topic here. And this one's really interesting to me because the FDA recently mandated a new safety warning for opioid medications. And this has a lot to do, I think, with with a lot of the work that MedSense does. 
So I'm curious about what you think about this, but this is according to an article I'm reading. It says the U.S. Food and Drug Administration said it will require new safety warnings to be added in the prescribing information on labels for opioid pain relievers, including a warning about increased sensitivity to pain. FDA said that data suggests that patients who use opioids for pain relief after surgery often have leftover tablets, which puts them at risk for addiction and overdose. I know there's a lot there, and this does feel like an evolution, hopefully a step in the right direction. But what do you think about this new safety warning? So first, indeed, uh, things that uh, people are not aware that indeed uh, opioid may create something that is called opioid-induced hyperalgesia. So we become more sensitive to pain, and therefore you might require more opioids. So this is a risk that people should be aware and, and the combination of that with life-threatening respiratory depression, which is the cause of death, is there. So those risks should be, should be very, people, if they are not aware, they should be very aware of, and uh, it should be probably there. And this activity is part of, uh, there is the whole uh, agency implementation of the FDA overdose prevention framework that was set, I think, in August 2022. Uh, to prevent, in general, the drug overdoses. And then opioid is a major, I think, 75 to 80 percent. In percent of it, it's involving opioids. So this kind of fact seems like a natural process of, of doing something, what's going on in terms of the opioid crisis, the U.S. So that's from that perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's there's just the thought of, you know, again, not having any inside information of what led to this particular updated safety warning, I don't think it's any surprise that there's likely a need to be that specific about, you know, a warning about increased sensitivity to pain and one about having pain relief, uh, using opioids for pain relief after surgery in particular. Like those specifics, I think, were, were interesting to me because they do indicate, as is a lot of what FDA does, it's just an indication of, of what's happening. It's an indication of what's in need. And, you know, people can debate whether it's coming too soon or too late. But the fact is, there's almost always a need, in my opinion, for any kind of safety warning that comes from the FDA. And so, you know, that tells me when they call out the part about after surgery. And I think we'll get to that actually a, a little bit here later in the in our conversation here, because I definitely want to hear what can be done there. But, yeah, I don't know. I thought, I thought those parts stood out to me and I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because, again, going to specifically to the surgery, I was surprised to know that people in terms, people who go to surgery, so surgery is, is a painful event, obviously, and pain needs to be handled uh, during the surgery. And, and we'll talk about the impact of that and post-surgery and then the follow-up. And what we see today is that uh, even both the pain and the opioid are in the mindset of the physician, uh, still about 50% of the patients uh, wake up from moderate to severe pain after surgery. Uh, so it seems like, you know, something should have been handled better intra during the surgery. And we still know that about 20% of the patient uh, will suffer from pain for months and years later. So it will become a chronic pain. And then we see, connecting to the to the opioids impact, that up to ten percent of the patients will use opioid the year after, so they will develop some kind of uh, opioid dependency. So they were opioid naive; they had no issue before with opioid, or not necessarily were using opioid before. So this is some; it's a portion; it's a, it's a contribution that that may be 
controlled well, just going back to the beginning of the situation where the surgery or the infliction of pain that wasn't before is being made. And this is kind of, of where we, in terms of, of the medicines, where we address to try to have the first part, the first a collision with the pain uh, treated uh, in the best manner that's possible, given more information that is available today. Yeah, that 10% figure is really interesting to me, you know, that the 10% of patients still on opioids at a year after surgery. How do you think we can mitigate those risks? I assume, you know, part of that can be by managing pain during the surgery. You know, this is things that happen after surgery, but I, I imagine we can mitigate those risks somewhat by managing pain during surgery. Is, is that correct? So one of the elements is to, to look, as we said at the beginning, when the, the pain is inflicted during the surgery. Today, pain is managed during the surgery. Uh, so patients are given mainly opioids, but not necessarily just opioids. Sometimes it's a combination with uh, local or uh, local anesthetic or blocks that is called to, to avoid the pain. But as of today, the way to, to know whether you give too much or too little to the patient during the surgery is limited to basically looking at his basic vital sign, looking at the heart rate and blood pressure. So presumably, you know, when the patient is under physiological pain, so by the way, it's not pain because pain is a, a conscious situation where we should be aware when we're having pain, but during the surgery, we are under anesthesia, so we are unconscious, but the physiological part of the pain, which is the name is nociception, happens. So when when we are in, when we have this physiological pain, our body reacts, our heart rate goes up, blood pressure increases. So looking on this parameter may indicate that the body experiences pain, but it's not sensitive enough or specific enough to the pain. It may may go for because of medication or the other scenarios may go up, or it may not go up enough to be noticed due to the pain. And when it's it's already noticed, it's too late. So this is where, where specifically us, we give additional information specific to the pain so that the, in this case, mainly the anesthesiologist, we know whether to give more or less and to give the right amount. So, so not too much. So you don't want again to wake up with the side effects already of giving too much opi opioids, but not too little so that the patient will wake up and then will need, will wake up with pain and then we need you need to handle with the opioids, you know, just to, to stabilize the patient in terms, in terms of the pain. And we are very, very different from each other, both in terms of our response to pain and our response to the pain medication. So it's not just fine tuning. It can be 30 fold difference between one patient to another when it comes to make a decision, whether to give more or more or to give less. So so this optimization or personalization is can make a difference, a major difference in terms of, of the treatment already during when, when the pain is first inflicted and first caused due to the surgery. Did I hear that right? You said like a thirty a thirty X, like a thirty times difference. Wow. That's huge. Correct. Yeah. Wow. Indeed. Yeah, when I think about that, I mean, I put that context in terms of like what's communicated to a care team for them to be aware of this. And I'm, I imagine most are that they, they, they understand this in principle, but having those newest figures in hand to, to understand how important this is, I can only imagine how important that is. 
that's a perfect place topic wise to take a quick little radio break here if you're just now tuning in i'm jared johnson and you're listening to trending now on healthcare now radio i'm speaking with galit zuckerman stark ceo and founder of medicines biometrics hey tell you what let's get right back into it here i think related to that is some really cool news from medicines because recently received fda clearance for its pmd 200 patient monitor which provides uh, clinicians with real-time insight into a patient's physiological pain response during surgery. Very cool things happening. Can you tell us about the approval and what it means for clinicians? Yeah, sure. So the PMD-200 is a monitor that looks at, uh, in our physiological response to pain, so our physiological parameters like heart rate-related, heart rate variability, sweating, uh, movement, so physiological signals that may be, may be affected from our response to pain. So when we are in pain, they will change. So, but, but the, let's say the brain of this uh, monitor is the AI algorithm that looks on our physiological signals and try to find a pattern within those different parameter pattern that repeats when we are, our body experience pain. So when it recognizes this patent, it's called signature, we call it signature of pain, actually a signature of, of pain, pain response changes because it's calibrated uh, transparently per patient, then, then it translates it into a number of 0 to 100 uh, that reflects this physiological response to pain, or the name is nociception, the medical term is nociception. So the approval we got for this, uh, this monitor basically open a new class of product called the adjunctive pain measurement device for anesthesiology. So it's a, it, we received it through the Denova part, uh, Denova path for, for new innovation, uh, something that you don't have any predicate, any technology like or any solution like that approved uh, in the FDA. And with this, with this new device now available, again, it was available worldwide, but in the US just recently between the, the grant this device clinician and specifically in the operating room, um, mainly anesthesiologists or those who take care of the anesthesia, but also um, surgeons um, can personalize, given less because I have now additional information that is there uh, for the pain. So it helps uh, personalization of the pain treatment. And in clinical studies, we showed that this period personalization or giving what we call the right dose at the right time um, helps reduce uh, post-operative pain. And actually in one of the studies, it was shown that it's the odds are six times lower to experience pain, severe pain post-operatively when you and the null hour monitor is used during the surgery compared to the standard of care where they are looking on the heart rate and blood pressure and making decision with this information. Well, it sounds like this is very much a a problem-solving exercise as much as anything, right? Understanding the problem, addressing it, and addressing it from a path that could lead to a solution or at least a way to improve it. I think this the same could be said in general for, we can back this out a little bit, to, to a lot of new emerging solutions in healthcare, and one of those being AI. So we can take a little bit of a turn here for a moment because AI is definitely becoming mainstream in a lot of aspects of healthcare. And I know coming from your engineering background, this gives you an approach to to solve health problems that's very engineering or, or tech oriented. I'd love to hear just like how you approach problems and how you identify it and, and how you approach it to begin with, because I think it's good for people to hear in the instance of the patient monitor you just described, you know, how 
does the solution get created and how do you know what that problem is? Like, how do you use your, your engineering background to approach health problems? So first, actually, that going solving this problem from an engineering point gave the solution, eventually the solution, the, the power. Because we, as you said, we were looking, okay, there are technology, there is AI, there are machine learning that can do amazing things. Let's try it in the context of pain. So, for example, in my background, when I was you know, working in the semiconductors, we were using the, the AI and the machine learning to, to find the differentiate different defects in the, in the process of producing the, the chips. So, for example, you got, you know, the technician gave you images to say, oh, this is one problem. The other image is another problem. But when you were asking, when you try to ask them, okay, why, how do you know exactly that this image represents one problem and the other one? represent another problem, it was very difficult for them to say, you know what, it's the height, it's the color, it's the texture. It's very, very difficult. But they know, they knew this. And this is where AI is very powerful when you don't know exactly, you know, to define the rules that make you maybe as, as a human being to say, oh, this is one thing and this is another thing. This is where AI, the place where AI is very strong. So going back to the, 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 the issue of pain, we know that, you know, when we're experiencing pain, that now it's more painful and now it's less painful. It's very difficult for us to use the zero to 10 scales. You know, somebody, if, uh, you know, at certain times, somebody asks me how much pain I am, a laborer, I'm beyond 10. <laughs> don't, don't even ask me. But we're good at saying this is higher or this is lower than, than, than previous or than before. And this is a classic situation to give to a machine learning or AI and uh, to say, okay, try to see if there are something there, is there a pattern, is there some correlation, you know, with the information that, you know, the input that you give that, that those example of pain or those example of no pain or those example of moderate pain differentiate between. And this is a very, very powerful tool. So this is basically the approach that we we did. It was given example, different examples of different levels of pain event or painful stimulus or pain situation to the system and, and make, made it uh, train that system by that. And what we see now for years now in terms of clinical results, it's, it's outperform any single indication, any single parameters that is used today. And it outperform even the simple combination. Because it's the power of looking on sometimes nonlinear relations that are very tough to define, you know, by simple language that the machine can do really, 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 really well. That's the power of using kind of a different method to a medical, in this case, medical solution. And we see it uh, repeating in many, many different, you know, disciplines and, and, and solutions today. I love that. I mean, I think... Again, thinking about this from the same approach, I mean, it's really helpful to see how we can tackle some of these these things. And again, they're they're big challenges, right? So it's not as simple as one, you know, we figure this out and we never have to change that approach. It's the fact of we're evolving the approach as we go and looking at where new data gets us and what it tells us maybe we could try a, a slight direction change. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I know we've been talking about a lot of different trends related to a couple of certain topics, but I wonder what other trends 
that you're paying attention to right now that maybe we haven't talked about or just, just things that maybe don't directly have to do with, with some of these things we've already discussed? Are there any other trends in healthcare that you're paying attention to right now? So first, um, introducing a new technology into the, you know, to the medical community and to the system in the U.S. So we're watching it, you know, watching now actively <laughs> being part of this. This is something that, that we, we really intrigued because in one hand, there is, I would say, the drive to, to go to the, you know, to innovative solution, to see what can, what best we can apply and add with the idea that, yes, new technology can bring, you know, benefit, whether it's clinical or cost saving uh, to the system. But on the other side, when you are talking about medical, you are, as, and as I mentioned, you need to be really, really careful. Okay, is it good? Is it bad? Is it helpful for me? Does it fit to me? So we see this, this kind of um, clashing between I want to do, like I want to bring innovation to my center. And on the other side, you know, I'm used, I have this routine, routine protocol, etc. I need maybe to, to continue with whatever I was doing and maybe, maybe it's good enough. So this is actually a thing that kind of, uh, let's say, discuss and, 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 and think that there should be awareness that it exists there in the system. And they should be aware that if, if you want to bring innovation, it also needs to be part of kind of the routine work or to the education within the system as well. Otherwise, there will be people or a part of the organization who will resist on the other side, again, the resistance needs to know, oh, there sometimes needs to be new innovation. Okay, so maybe I shouldn't resist it because actually it might be helpful. Maybe at the beginning it will be, you know, cumbersome. We'll need to pay additional, you know, extra attention. But the idea is that, again, what is implemented eventually can be helpful. So from both sides, let's say, um, organization within themselves need to be aware of this. And uh, with I'm a true believer in technology and its in its uh, benefits, and, and especially you know when you have the barrier of the FDA in the US. So technology goes through a very very tough barrier before it's introduced into the hospitals. So think about also the process, how to make it make it simpler within the process within the hospital, the ongoing process of the hospital to adapt and to include new technology. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a real pleasure to have you with us today. I'll give you the final word here. Is there anything else you'd like to share on this topic that we haven't addressed yet? Don't be afraid to innovate. <laughs> Through the path, some some, some of, of the, those processes, and for me with medicines, it's, um, uh, it's, it's been a process of 15 years of bringing a new technology into the market and bringing something that people said, oh, you are solving the holy grail. And then, uh, then I realized saying that it means like, oh, it's going to take uh, forever. Um, but when you see, and, and again, we have, we have been for a few years in Europe, Canada and other territories, when you see what technology, you know, the, what it can bring in terms of more patients uh, that you wouldn't try, you know, wouldn't do or wouldn't take the risk to take to have them, for example, the surgery because they are frail or old. And now you can do this because you have additional tools that can help you doing things that you couldn't do before. So this is, on a personal level, rewarding. And whoever is in part of this, this is something that is truly fulfilling. So don't be afraid to go through this tough process of inventing or adopting new technology. Well, thanks so much for helping us explore what's on trend today. And with that, that's a wrap for today. I want to thank my guest, Galit Zuckerman-Stark, for joining me today. 
To learn more about MetaSense Biometrics, you can find them at www.metasense.com. That's MetaSense with a D, so M-E-D-A sense.com. You can learn more about today's show on our program page at healthcarenowradio.com. And make sure you follow the show's hashtag TrendingNowHC and follow me on Twitter at Jared Piano. Until next time, if it's happening in healthcare and it's now, it's on Trending Now. 